When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We are joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccant. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. This is a grim episode, fellow conspiracy realist, and as such, it may not be suitable for all our fellow listeners. We're playing with dark live fire here. This is a two-part episode about serial killers. As we discussed in previous episodes, this genre of criminal is extraordinarily rare in the world of crime. You know, if you have ever looked at the statistics, you know that most homicides are committed by someone familiar to the victim. Here in the United States, 54.3% of murders are committed by someone you know. Someone the victim knows, an acquaintance, a neighbor, a friend, a romantic partner, etc. We have done, to be clear, several episodes on serial killers in the past, specifically those who have yet to face justice for their crimes. And today, unfortunately, we are updating this exploration. It is 2022, and some of these individuals 
are still on the loose. So here are the facts. Let's do a brief recap of our earlier episodes. We can start with good news. We talked a long time ago about the original Night Stalker. I think we even made a video on that, Ben. And uh, this was someone who was unknown. They had many names. They had many victims. And turns out, through some DNA evidence and a really interesting investigation that was, again, decades and decades long, the person was caught. person named Joseph James D'Angelo Jr. That's right. Mr. Uh, D'Angelo Jr. was a former police officer who was responsible for at least 13 murders that we know of, Uh, 50 sexual assaults, 120 burglaries, all between the years of 1974 and 1986. He was a busy guy. He was not identified until early 2018. I mean, that's how it goes sometimes. It's fascinating. You go evading the law for that long. Um, He is alive, though currently incarcerated in California, in the California State Prison in Corcoran. He's currently 76 years old, and like a lot of serial killers of of his ilk, uh, he is both unremarkable and completely insane. Um, Totally unextraordinary. You know, a lot of these these people are looking for attention or looking for some kind of glorification, um, and most of them don't get it. I remember when I was younger, there was a guy who did a school shooting. He, he kind of did like these photo ops where he was holding the guns and like a hammer, like old boy. And I thought at the time, being very naive, like, oh, my God, this guy's totally going to get remembered for this. I can't even remember the guy's name. And that's fortunately the way this, this stuff goes sometimes outside of a few outliers. But, yeah, he told investigators that he had another person in his head. Um, seems like a, a sign. I'm no, you know, psychiatrist here, but it seems like a. Symptom of some kind of schizophrenia, um, and he had an alternate personality that he called Jerry, which which the, essentially acted as the voice in his head that told him to commit these acts of violence. And unfortunately, this dark shadow of the human species has been around for a long, long time. We have explored cases of serial murderers from the ancient past. People like Shu Sinetir, uh, 5th century Uh, C.E., Yemenite, uh, a guy who is one of the first recorded serial killers. We also looked at the stories of murderers who almost certainly died off the record, quite possibly due to vigilante actions. And vigilantes are going to play a part in today's episode. We're going to hit you with a question that we're not sure how to answer toward the end here. The most intriguing of these cases like the people who are probably dead but officially got away, uh, would be Pedro Alonso Lopez, the so-called monster of the Andes. He was a murderer and assaulter of children. He was arrested in 1980 in Ecuador, and the government of Ecuador freed him at uh, around the end of 1994 He was interviewed in prison, and he called himself the man of the century. He was released for, quote-unquote, good behavior, handed off to Colombia for charges on a 20-year-old murder at the time. And 
Colombia, the government there, declared him insane. They held him in a hospital in the capital uh, until about 1998 when he was released on a bail that was the equivalent at the time of 50 U.S. dollars. Right now, as we record April 2022, there is a clear, although distant, possibility that Lopez may be alive today. If so, he is 73 years old at the time of this recording. Just a quick side note here. Uh, the research for some of these episodes that we do on serial killers and some of the really darker stuff, especially when murder is involved, uh, it has a serious effect. I, I mean, I would, Ben, I would say, and, and Noel, personally on me, it has an effect. I remember that the Lopez episode that we did and specifically the research. And I would just caution anybody who wants to look deeper into it. Just be careful. There's some things that you can't unknow and unsee. And that's just, that's one of them. Just put that out there for everybody. I think people kind of take for granted the psychological toll. Some of this stuff can have on you, especially folks that are, you know, actively seek out, true crime type podcasts and, you know, TV series and documentaries. Uh, it certainly can act as an entertaining element, but I think there's some maybe unchecked uh, negative impacts that it can have, you know, on individuals and collectively. Um, Cause I certainly feel you on that map. Agreed. And we are doing this because it is important. There are literally lives at stake. There are people who will never have their children their lovers, their relatives, their friends with them ever again. And we're recapping this. Our here is the facts portion comes to you because we want to give you a brief look at the gains and losses of tracking this particularly rare type of murderer. Over time, yes, good news. Some do get caught. Many get caught. Sometimes they get caught for another crime, right? Sometimes they get caught after their demise. Sometimes, in very few cases, they get caught while they are active. However, given the backlog of forensic data in the U.S. and abroad, given the at times corrupt horse trading of government and law enforcement, we have to sadly note many serial killers are active now. Here's where it gets crazy. Yeah, it's true. Folks, fellow conspiracy realists, there are multiple serial murderers who, as of April 2022, have yet to be apprehended. Some have likely died and they got away with it. Some might be in prison for, you know, related crimes that don't enter into their um, their reputation as murderers. There are individuals who, for instance, may be locked up due to assault or shoplifting or grand theft auto. There are probably right now some who are dormant at the current moment, meaning like BTK, like Dennis Rader, they paused for a while until they felt they needed attention, until their their crazy spiral went further into the abyss. Uh, they're, for the most part, as we established, unintelligent, but they're not restricted to the United States. Let's share some examples across the globe. Historically, we've kind of focused on the U.S. and the West, but they are by no means, serial killers are by no means unique to one part 
of the planet. No, um, let's uh, go for this one to Japan. Uh, between April and November of 1985 in Hiroshima, 12 people were killed uh, due to paraquat poisoning. Uh, and another 35 people were seriously injured. Um, investigators were able to trace this back to a drink, uh, a popular, uh, I guess it's a sports drink. Uh, it's called Oranamin C. I imagine the C has something to do with vitamin C, some kind of energy drink. And that was the common factor in all of these cases. Uh, around the same time, the uh, company that actually manufactures the drink launched a marketing campaign that offered free bottles of the drink from vending machines anytime someone bought something else, kind of a BOGO kind of situation. Um, and yeah, I mean, you're buying something else and then, yo, oh, what a deal. And you get this other drink and, you know, that's the thing that poisons you. It's not a particularly good buy one, get one. And just for everybody's knowledge, Paraquat is an herbicide that was very common in 1985. Uh, it, the common name for it is methyl viologen, V-I-O-L-O-G-E-N. And it is very, very toxic to humans. It's actually often used or has a reputation for being used to kill uh, marijuana plants that are being grown illegally. You might remember uh, big, the Big Lebowski, um, uh, Jeff Bridges character, the dude, uh, insulting someone by calling them a human paraquat because uh, that was an 80s you know, uh, period movie. when It was probably something that the hippies were none too happy about uh, in terms of uh, you know, getting rid of their, uh, their weed plants. Yeah, this is, this is true. And it, it goes into the idea of... Uh, a social contract, right? The unspoken rules and considerations of a culture. Imagine wherever you live that you go to a vending machine, you put in some change or nowadays you swipe a card and you're getting, you know, water or a, I don't know, a Fanta or a Yoohoo, whatever. And you you do your little thing and then you get your, your bottle of your Yoohoo or your Fanta or your Mountain Dew and then all of a sudden, another bottle pops out because it's part of the promotion. What do you do with that? You didn't want the Aronaman C. In Japan, people started placing this drink, this free drink, on top of a vending machine. It's kind of a nice thing to do for strangers. And then if you come along and you see that and you're thirsty, you might say, hey, I'm going to save a couple of yen. I'm going to grab grab this OC right here. And that's what led to the problem. Law enforcement concluded that someone or some group of people had been lacing those free drinks with that herbicide, Paraquat. Again, as Matt said, it's quite toxic to human beings. And then after they laced it, they put it back on, on top of the vending machine. And Yikes. police, yeah, police couldn't do couldn't do a thing because it was super difficult to narrow down where someone had picked up the drink, where they found it. Vending machines are everywhere in urban areas in Japan. And most of these vending machines were in back streets, very narrow, you would call them alleys in the U.S. And there wasn't any sort of video footage around. It was an opportunity for agents of chaos this crime appears to have stopped solely because vending machine operators started posting warnings, stuff that said, hey, don't take 
strange drinks that you find at a vending machine. And then it also spurred a um, an unfortunate an unfortunate trend of copycat attempts using things like lime sulfur. There are also a couple of cases of people attempting to poison themselves and be tied to this phenomenon. But the frightening thing is, right now, folks, not only is there no clear conviction for a person or people behind this poisoning, there are no suspects. No one knows. And whomever is doing this is likely walking around free in Japan today. Yeah, it is weird to think that somebody who had the money to, you know, go to these vending machines, make purchases, purchase you know, this toxic substance, place it in those things. If it's 1985, that person is, you have to imagine they're old enough to, you know, do those things without suspicion. Right. Uh, but then you imagine it hasn't been that long. They are very much likely still alive. And the super disturbing thing for, for me in this case is how long distance these kills are for whoever this person is. Right. Like, it's. I think it's very unlikely that whoever poisoned these drinks was actually there observing when somebody came up and was a victim of theirs, right? It's almost as if you just did it and walked away. And it is also not like Ted Kaczynski or one of these people that, you know, had a target or knew they were sending something through the mail to a specific person. This is a random person that was going to get injured or killed due to their actions, which I just, I don't understand the psychology of that and how it, I, it just doesn't, it doesn't even compare to me to a lot of the other deaths that we're going to be talking about today and killers who are so up close and personal with their actions. It's just interesting that this was enough of a phenomenon like around Japan because of this seemingly failed marketing attempt that someone was able to capitalize it and kind of go undiscovered. Uh, I mean, it's like the drink equivalent of like you two putting that album on everyone's iPod that still to this day, people can't figure out how to get off. It's like, we don't want your, <laughs> we don't want your new album. We don't want your free drink. Um, and you literally created a public health uh, nightmare or the opportunity for one anyway. Well, you know, love them or hate them. You can at least, we can all at least agree the band U2 has not been poisoning people physically uh we're gonna pause for a word from our sponsor and then we will return unfortunately with more examples of serial killers on the loose when you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year 100,000 mile limited warranty you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible visit your local kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for the eligible bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. 
I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're back. Matt, this is one that I believe really stood out for you. It takes us to Brazil. There is or was a serial killer who got away that the media called the rainbow killer due to the nature of the victims this individual was targeting. Oh, yeah, sure. This one made a couple of lists uh, that exist out there that you can find right now of, you know, unsolved killers. Um, This one is particularly grisly. And as we start telling you the story, you'll kind of figure out towards the end why it feels something feels off with it over the course of just, I guess, it's 18 months officially in Brazil. This person that was dubbed the Rainbow Killer 
or the Rainbow Maniac. That was that's the one that I've seen co- most commonly used, the Rainbow Maniac. Uh, this person killed at least thirteen people. It's thought that perhaps that number is sixteen or even higher, but thirteen people in particular were killed execution style in Paterice Park, and they were then. I guess dumped or sometimes just left in nearby bushes there within the park. And this specific method of killing was often a gunshot to the head. And when the victims were found, at least in the the 13, these 13 particular cases, the victims trousers, their pants were pulled down uh, like to their, their knees, I believe Uh, like all the way down sometimes to their ankles. Yeah. Yeah. Was there also signs of like, trauma, like outside of the bullet wounds, like they were beaten before being mm-hmm. executed? Yeah, there. Yeah, well, we'll get into it. <laughs> one of one of the victims was shot many more times uh, than the others. Yeah, it, it it appears that the first documented case uh, happened on the fourth of July, two thousand seven. These. Murders took place around the same geographical area, right? Around that park you described, Matt. And also, we are not native Portuguese speakers, so pardon any mispronunciations. Uh, We do want to be respectful. This is happening in a context in the country. There are ultra-conservative groups that are railing against the idea of LGBTQ People just existing. They're just, they're mad that those people exist. Uh, And this park is kind of a ground zero hookup spot for illicit rendezvous. And we know that in 2011, one person actually went to trial, went to a jury trial on suspicion of these homicides. This guy was a retired police sergeant named Yaro Francisco Franco. Uh, He was arrested based on the testimony of two eyewitnesses in particular. Two of them put him at the park at the time of one of the murders. And one said he, Franco, had the same posture as the assailant. But again, we know eyewitness testimony can be, mm, unfortunately, it's not it's not waterproof. It doesn't always hold sand. And as that, a result, that particular victim yeah. was supposedly shot 12 times. The one that uh, this person was, you know, supposedly seen uh, carrying out. Yeah. And as a result, the jury found this person, Franco, not guilty of the murders. This establishes a pattern that we see often in the world of serial murderers, uh, preying on the disadvantaged, right? Preying on the folks who exist on some level at the fringes of society. Now, to be clear, Brazil has a reputation as a tremendously gender progressive country, at least on paper. But if you look at nonprofit gay rights groups, places like Grupo Gai de Baia, Again, not Portuguese speakers. Uh, This is the oldest organization of its type in the country of Brazil. And they will tell you that Brazil remains one of the world leaders in the murders of LGBTQ and non-binary individuals. 
And at this point, you know, I, I think maybe we take a second to note the danger of the media in, in these sorts of crimes and in reporting them. Here in the U.S., if you're not a citizen or resident of this country, if you haven't spent a lot of time here, you need to know that there is a terrible habit in reporting. Uh, it is a kind of buzzfeedy, clickbaity thing we would call it now, where you you give these criminals some sort of catchy name, right? Like Matt Noel, we were just talking a second ago, Rainbow Maniac, Rainbow Killer. This may not be helpful to the actual investigators, you know, uh, and unfortunately, we know from interviews post-arrest with proven serial killers, they like the monikers. And uh, I think it's a dangerous thing. I mean, have you, you guys do true crime shows all the time. You EP them, you produce them. What do you think about this this nomenclature, I guess? It, it feels like this is a dated thing. Like these kind of gross nicknames that are like uh, inflammatory and flashy. Like I can't think of... You know, in, in, in America, that going over well, you know, in mainstream media or like, you know, newspapers. Oh, yeah, that totally makes sense. Right. I mean, even if I think a killer called themselves something again, the way the Zodi the Zodiac did uh, or the Freeway Phantom or something like that, you probably I well, I wonder I, I wonder because you would get clicks right right now. The the media would get clicks on their websites and on social media if you've got a name that can trend. I mean, that's I think that's the tough truth about it. Yeah, it's it's the hybridization of media too, where there used to be to some degree, you know, ethical <laughs> guidelines, and now it's kind of a free for all and who's first to market with a story or who gets to coin the name. But I still wonder if in the kind of woke, uh, you know, culture that we live in, if it wouldn't just kind of be a bad look and people would be like ew gross buzzfeed you know what i mean i I don't know that's just just a thought it's interesting because there's also a bit of a faustian bargain at play i would posit if you can by hook or by crook get more attention to a story then are you raising the possibility that these crimes will be solved. That is, uh, that's a dilemma. It's a pickle. It's a question without an answer just yet. And speaking of questions without answers, we're, we're going to pause for a moment. And when we return, we're going to talk a little bit more about self-identifying murderers and about the power of those names. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for the eligible bachelor? Meanwhile... 
the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we've returned. Uh, We want to end part one of uh, this series on this case. Speaking of questions without answers, folks, fellow conspiracy realists, we want to know your opinion, as I believe it's fair to say that all of us are on the fence here. Our final story today takes us to Bangladesh. Uh, It is a beautiful country with an ancient history. It's an ancient land, and it is besieged by sexual assault. So heads up, we did a disclaimer at the beginning. We want to do another disclaimer now because we are about to explore some intensely unclean and disturbingly true facts. Here it is. From January to September of 2020 alone, over 1,000 
women were sexually assaulted in Bangladesh. 43 of those victims died as a direct result of those assaults. And you have to note this statistic, which is true and confirmed, does not count non-binary people. It does not count trans people. It does not necessarily count children. It is only an official statistic, which sadly means it misses a great deal without getting into the harrowing experience of any assault victim reporting these types of crimes. It is certain that there's a lot more to that number. A lot of these assaults simply do not get reported. And this led someone in Bangladesh we believe one person to take matters into their own hands. Yeah, it's weird. This one's a bit weird in my opinion, because we're only talking about two weeks, right? This is, Mm -hmm. it's almost a spree killing, uh, less of a serial killing, but it also matches those, uh, the descriptions of those deaths and killings and killers as well. Um, The year is 2019. There's two weeks. Like we said, at least three men, it, I think there might be more. At least we're going to be finding out more, I think, in the future, unless this really was just a single spree thing. But three uh, three men who were suspected of sexual assault, they were all the prime suspect, right, or one of the prime suspects within cases. They were each found murdered, and each of them had a note around their neck. In two of those cases the men's names were written on that note. Yes, and at least two. And you can you can find the pattern, you can see the notes. These notes escalate in specificity, or so it would seem. The first one simply reads, I am name. We're not going to give their specific names. Quote, I am name. I am the rapist of, quote, victim name. This is my punishment. They were found dead. Murdered via gunshot. The second note says, quote, I am the prime accused in a rape case, end quote. Dead the same way. Looks like the same firearm. Not publicly identified yet, but local law enforcement seems to confirm that they believe it was the same person. The third note, the third note escalates and ticks a couple of boxes for a serial murderer. This is a self-identified thing. Yeah, it said, I am name. I am the rapist of a madrasa girl of Bandaria. Uh, and this is the consequence of a rapist. Be wary, rapists. Hercules. Yeah, so, yeah. right? Chill, chilling, dude. It's powerful. And there's some weird stuff with this case. Okay, so there are victims of sexual assault, and then these victims of murder are sus- are suspects, right? So there's been no trial, no legal process to confirm whether or not they were actually the rapists. But these, uh, the families of these victims, the murder victims, have some interesting stories that they've been uh, telling the media. And many of them are that, at least in two cases, that plainclothes men showed up in either a van or another vehicle and picked up, you know, their husband or their friend or their son or their neighbor and put them into that vehicle and they drove off. And that was the last time the murder victim was seen. That to me is very highly strange. Yeah. It sounds like, uh, it sounds like 
more than one person, more than one perpetrator mm-hmm. responsible. Uh, it sounds like there's cooperation going on here, and it is almost certain that the individuals or individual responsible, whomever is identifying as Hercules, that individual or that group does not think of itself as a serial murderer. It thinks of itself as doing justice when the courts fail to do so. And yeah, well, and they yeah. identify themselves as in as part of an investigative team. Like, so part of the law enforcement there in, in that area of Bangladesh. I mean, that's, that's creepy. It's like uh, plain closed officers. Maybe they're not officers at all. Maybe they are. And how, how can you prove that? Because you'd have to be a pretty significant and serious investigation. And it seems like maybe that's not going to happen. Yeah, it's a good point. The police and local law enforcement don't seem particularly keen to solve these cases. Also, it is possible. And, and again, legally, we're not saying anything for sure. But it, it is possible that they could be involved with law enforcement, whomever is identifying as Hercules. And this gets to the question we want to ask you, fellow conspiracy realist. Vigilante crimes. Uh, This unfortunately ticks all the boxes of serial murder, right? We see a specific demographic of victim. We see a specific motivation for murder. We see a specific type of murder. Again, it looks like it was the same firearm or similar firearm, uh, even down to, you know, we don't have information because it hasn't been publicly released, but it it seems like the same person or people doing this thing and then also looking for some acknowledgement from media looking for some notoriety, call me Hercules, whomever is saying. And and the question is then, you know, the question then is if this ticks all the boxes for serial murder, where do we go with this? Where do we go? Because obviously whomever is responsible for this seems convinced that they they are taking the lives of people who deserve it. And that's not us passing judgment. We just want to know what you think in that regard. Yeah. Well, the only reason I cast or I I kind of cast doubt on it being a serial killer is because that it doesn't seem like there's much of a cooling off period at all. It seems like Mm -hmm. a mission like you're talking about here. Uh, Someone feels like they're on a mission to kill people. Uh, But it's I don't know. It's it's different in a lot of ways. Didn't we talk before about there has to be a certain stretch of a cooling off period for it to be considered a serial murder rather than spree killings. I yes. Can't remember. Yeah. Per FBI definition. Yeah. But would a vigilante be considered a serial killer if they're not compelled by some psychological drive? I guess, I guess the reason doesn't matter. It's, it's about the pattern or uh, the intent seems like it would matter. I mean, wouldn't you label this person mm. a vigilante rather than a serial killer? if they are targeting certain individuals uh, as retribution? That's the question. You know, it's, it's a question that's difficult to answer because you could also consider cases like, um, this is not a one-to-one comparison in any way, but you could consider cases like uh, mafioso or organized crime hitmen, you know, enforcers like the Iceman. That guy 
killed a lot of people. And to him, it was his job. He didn't, you know, he wasn't, uh, he, he didn't have some voice named Jerry in his head telling him to do stuff. He didn't his have voice a, coming through a, a cell phone in his ear telling right. him he was going to get paid a million dollars to do stuff. Right. His neighbor's dog wasn't commanding him to go out and kill like uh, Berkowitz said or anything like that. We're asking you folks, what is the line between uh, vigilante retribution and what would qualify as a spree murderer or a serial murderer? Is there a line at all? And if so, what do you think that is? More importantly, will these cases that we have just kind of given you the broad strokes of, will they ever be solved? Will someone find who was poisoning those vending machines in Japan? Will someone in Brazil finally get convicted of these various crimes? Will the case of Hercules ever be solved? And Matt, to your point about patterns, if this entity individual or group identifying as Hercules returns and attributes more um, victims. I, I mean, if it, whatever it is, if it racks up more deaths, does that not officially make it a serial killer at that point? Because then we would have the dormancy period, which takes it past a spree killing. That's an interesting thing. Yeah. Cause we're talking 2019. It's, going to be three years here. Yeah, I suppose. I, I I don't know. Man, it's odd to me that there were four or three known for sure killings that were done by Hercules, at least according to the notes that match up, uh, that they all occurred in those two weeks. Then they didn't happen again. Man, I just I want to learn more about the case. Like, I want to do a deep dive on that at some point. Uh, maybe not. Maybe not on the show, but that this this in particular has just got all my wheels turning. Mm -hmm. Agreed. And I, I think this is one of the ones that's going to stay with us because we also have to, we also have to consider the idea that law enforcement may be involved. We also have to consider the fact that the three, the three murders, uh, those, those individuals were not suspected in the same crime, only in the same type of crime which, again, curiouser and curiouser. We want to hear from you folks. Please join us later in the week when we look at Uncaught Serial Killers in 2022, Part 2, which is an unintentional tongue twister. This is one of our darker episodes. We want to hear from you. We try to be easy to find online. That's right. You can find us on Facebook. We have our Facebook group. Here's where it gets crazy. You can also find us on Twitter. Uh, you can also find us on YouTube. Our handle on those platforms is at Conspiracy Stuff. On Instagram, we're at Conspiracy Stuff Show. Yes, if you don't like social media. Instead, give us a call. Our number is one eight three three S T D W Y T K. When you call in, give yourself a nickname. You've got three minutes to leave that message. At some point, please let us know if we can or cannot use your voice and name on the show. We very much would appreciate that. If you've got more to say than you can fit in that three minutes, why not instead send us a good old-fashioned email? We are conspiracy at iheartradio.com.
Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.